Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 108. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast after a long... What has it been, like 80 years? Uh, Feels like 80 years. We did the last one in June. It's yeah, like 80 October. years ago. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a math major or a calendar major. Are there calendar majors? I think it's a, I think it's a secretary. Uh, okay. Wouldn't well, I'm not a secretary. An event coordinator. Um, but it's been quite a while. It's been busy. Things have been busy. Busy spring, busy summer, mm-hmm. and busy fall. Yeah. Uh, Tim Smith here. I'm your host uh, with Christopher Russell. If you're listening to this, if you're new to this podcast, I'm sorry. Yes, we apologize in advance <laughs> for all of the shenanigans. <laughs> we've been we've been holding on to all of these shenanigans that we usually put into the podcast since June. Yeah, so it's going to be a ride. Or exactly. Strap in. Both uh, fully caffeinated and getting more so. Sipping a nice glass uh, or cup of espresso, I should say. Hmm. Um. So, yeah, what have we been doing in our long absence from the podcast? Uh, well, we, I think the last one we recorded was at the end of the spring semester. Yeah, had we just finished so. or were we just about to finish? I think we had just wrapped up. We had just wrapped up. And then you took off and went to Vermont for the summer where you were super busy running programs. Yeah, yeah. Running, um, it was sort of, I left here and was in Vermont for, geez, like, three weeks and then I was back up here for two weeks with my year-long program. Um, They wrapped up with uh, two weeks up here, one week in camp and then another week out on, uh, we went and ran the Aroostook in the summertime, which was a new experience for me. It was awesome. Um, Caught the Caught the biggest brookie I've ever caught in Maine on that trip, which you're not supposed to be able to catch brookies in the summertime on the Aroostook, so that was a pretty Pretty cool experience, and then that same day we found a huge, huge thing of uh, chanterelles. So had this awesome my last campsite, big meal that was mostly just stuff from uh, stuff from the land that we'd been out on. It was pretty awesome, um, and then just a bunch of other little short family programs and stuff like that all summer. But nice. yeah, busy, 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 busy. Yeah, I remember. It seems like a hundred years ago, last spring, like but eighty, eighty years ago. Uh, but we ran a bunch of week-long programs up here. Um, my son came up and we went out camping into the North Main Woods. My son and a friend of his, who's actually the son of one of my friends from growing up. So it's kind of neat to go out and share that experience with those young guys. Um, and then we started the uh, fall semester. Yeah, geez, it just didn't we just stop. We just wrapped up week six of the fall semester. We've got three to go. Last night, people did their 
night in an open shelter in front of a fire. So that's a no insulation shelter where your heat source is a fire. So we don't like to do those in the summertime because it's buggy. It doesn't really make any sense. But now, you know, the nights are getting just about to freezing. Yeah, it was I, when I looked at the thermometer this morning, it was sitting right at about 36. So that's is, a perfect that's, temperature yeah, And to do rained that. most of last night. Right. So awesome, awesome experience for these guys. And I like to think of that exercise as sort of like winter survival prep training. Meaning this is an exercise that we do on winter survival courses. You know, say if you get caught out somewhere, you don't have big sleeping bag or a big tent or shelter or things of some sort. So being able to spend the night and be comfortable in front of just an open fire as your heat source uh, is a super valuable experience to have had. And um, great to do it the first time when it's cold enough to get your attention, cold enough so there's no bugs, but not cold enough where if you don't do a really good job, you know, you're going to freeze to death or lose limbs. Game over, man. Something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's an awesome exercise. Um Mostly to me because it's it, – if you get into any of this like outdoorsy world, you run into like – I won't even say the term, but it has two S's in it and involves a situation. Scissors? Yeah, scissors. Um, the, the whole like survival situation thing is such a stupid trope in our industry. Um, and it usually – it's like, what do you do if you run into a bear? Well, you better have your tactical shovel because it's got a blade on it. But the, the reality of being out is – the bear has a gun? Then, then game over, man. Because most bears have game guns, thanks over. to the Second Amendment. The right to arm bears, perhaps you've heard of it. I think you need to reread that with a maybe a thesaurus and a dictionary with you. It might help. It'll change change the way you see the world here, Tim. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but the reality is, if you're out and you get turned around, this is probably the most practical thing you could actually have for being out. And maybe it gets dark and you didn't quite make it as far as you were planning on hiking. And this is a realistic thing. This is what you would do. Um, so awesome experience for these students to have. Yeah, it's one of those one of those cool things that we get to facilitate where we get to watch the boogeyman die. You know, when when fear is often spurred by the unknown, and once you've done there, once you've done there, once you've been there and done that, once you've had the experience, it's no longer unknown. So that's an antidote to the fear. Yeah, and I've I've had this idea in my head for a while. We always talk about the boogeyman dying, and I've had this idea of making making some sort of mask out of all the animal bones that are on uh, the obelisk down by my down by my campsite and then like 2 a.m putting that on and you know slithering up through the through the trees and no seeing, way like, you would make it there's that no way there's no way alive. our Someone students would, would murder me yeah but but it'd be worth it because if i've learned anything from tim it's that you got to commit to the bit <laughs> i will give my life for the bit wow I'm not I know. literally I know. Take, I'm taking my hat off right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cool experience. Chatted with some of them this morning. Sounds like they got a lot out of it, but at the moment they're just sleeping. Yeah, probably the rest of the day. We always do this exercise leading into a weekend or at least a day off so that people can spend the day in bed relaxing gloriously resting inside of like a warm sleeping bag or under a couple of blankets because that's what you miss those nights in front of a fire yeah and i think it's analogous when i explain this to students who've never done it before uh i explain it like it's sort of the uh analogous to when you bring like a the baby home from the hospital for the first time they don't have like a instruction manual and the first couple of nights with your first kid in the house are like the longest nights of your life you know you're like does this thing ever sleep like how come it doesn't sleep <laughs> Uh, but you know, with the idea being, you're not used to that 
it's a new experience for you as a new parent. So you're up half the night changing diapers, giving bottles, you know, feeding, changing, all those things. After you've done it for a couple of weeks, like you can wake up and change a diaper, feed the baby, you know, multiple times. And then in the morning, you don't even remember doing it. You can just do it on autopilot. So the point of getting experience with sleeping in front of an open fire First time you do it, that's going to be a long night. If you do it a bunch, you get to the point where you learn so much about the shelters that you make, so much about the fire, so much about where to put your wood pile, that you can, uh, after you've done it a bunch, you know, you can do it to where you'll wake up and adjust the fire a few times, and in the morning you won't even remember it. So that's the, the analogy and why I think they're, it's a good analogy, because they're, they're both similar. But there's no way to get that skill set other than to do it. You know, you could read books on it and article after article after article, but until you go have that experience, it's still going to be an unknown. So here's here here for the value of experiential education rather than strictly abstract academic yeah, education. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, I want to get into a couple of things today. Um, topics uh number one we often hear from people uh, who are going to come and take a long course and they're always interested in hey how hard is this what can i do to prepare so we have seen numerous times where people will come and this is this is a pretty common if we had to pick the most common injury that people get it's a repetitive broken spirit Broken heart. It's broken spirit and heart. Broken heart from celebrity breakups. If we had to pick a second, I mean, if celebrities can't make relationships work, what hope is there for the rest of us? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, You've been asking me that question for at least seven years now, and I really just have no answer for you. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Repetitive stress injuries are real. Uh, and um, sore hands, numb hands, sore wrists, all those things. So... If you expect to go from, say, working in an office or working in academia or something where, you know, the, the majority of, like, stuff that you're doing with your hands and arms is, you know, maybe you're preparing a meal a day at home and then a lot of keyboard time and typing and otherwise your hands are pretty idle. To think that you're going to be able to jump right into the woods life and, you know, be paddling canoes and carving and swinging axes and all those things without an adjustment period, without a toughening up period, it's it's pretty much folly right there. So you were using the analogy of, of a marathon, right? Can you can you re remind me of that? <laughs> yeah, well, so, it, um, so to me, when I think about, like, hand use and stuff, is that people show up here and they're really, really hot for this. And so they just start sprinting, metaphorically speaking, they start sprinting into all these activities that we're doing. We're swinging axes, they're making a canoe paddle, and often doing like all of these things in one day. Um, and then once they've made the paddle, they start doing another repetitive motion of paddling um, for miles and miles at a time. Um, and all the other little handcrafts that go on here, you know, making cordage, all that, everything is, everything is related to your hands. And people kind of come into it fresh, um, even if there are people that work with their hands a lot and just start sprinting. And then fairly often around this time, week six, um, we usually have one or two people that, you know, say like, oh, you know, my hands are starting to starting to get numb or they're just starting to hurt me. And on this semester, we've got a fair amount of people that are more than that. half. Yeah. More than half of um, the people are having like just, you know, uh, their hands hurt. Yeah. For lack of a better. Yeah. Word. And it's a hard it's a hard thing to 
train for, I think, in the modern world. Like if you if we were going to if this whole semester was about hiking, you could go on a four mile walk every day around a block and you'd be sort of starting to get get the ball rolling on training for that. But with this, it's such a unless you're actively like making things all the time with your hands, um, there's just not really. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of like real world uh, analog analogous activities that you can do so what, what i'm kind of getting at here is like if you're planning on coming up here for one of our nine-week programs or going anywhere and yeah doing like a course similar to this you know anywhere where yeah. you're busy with your hands a lot yeah i would encourage you to even if it's something you know we were talking the other day about uh we were talking about uh bushcraft the book by morse kahansky and how we do most of the stuff that's in that book we uh we do on this course and the one thing we don't do is um, or one of the things we don't do is cattail dolls, which is a thing that, uh, you know, it doesn't see, it's not like a useful thing. So we often kind of avoid it, but, but the usefulness of it to me is that if you start off making cattail dolls and just tying a couple knots to make a little like rope bag for your water bottle, those are all little things that aren't super intense on your hand, but they, they build up that kind of muscle, muscle memory, um, without having like high impact stuff like paddling for what did you guys do the other day like 15 miles in a day yeah um so yeah if you jump well, right into i'm not counting but it was exactly 14.87 you aren't counting you no. use a gps cheater yeah um but but that's kind of my point is that if you jump right into a 14.8 mile paddle yeah your hands are going to hurt at the end of that but if before you come up here you go and i mean even something as this sounds ridiculous but even something as absurd as like origami or something similar like something where you're you're having to be very tactile with your hands that'll make your life up here a lot i can see a smirk on tim's face I'm just about like, origami. What, what is origami it's those, or, like those little gummy bear things no it's organizing salami oh. obviously origami okay you never heard that before no yeah uh no but things little things like that little handcrafts um the process of crafting is cumulative yes exactly um everything builds on what you've done Previously. Yeah, and it's not. I don't think it's so much about like hand strength. It's just about um, them getting used to being your hands getting used to being used in something other than um, you know typing or driving. Driving all these little like where the whole hand is functioning as one unit. Because I think what often happens is that it's we're doing lots of little finicky things with our fingers, and that's stretching out tendons over and over and over, and then people get. People get repetitive stress injuries. Um, so yeah, start. This sounds absurd to train for a course on living in the woods, but start making origami. Maybe like go and find something about making a basket and try making one out of cardboard a few times before you come up here. Anything to start building up that kind of like muscle memory of your hands will be helpful. Yeah. Um, he, Tim has just been staring at me <laughs> for the last 45 <laughs> seconds and I don't, I can't tell oh, what's I'm happening. I'm thinking about like releasing an exercise video called Hands of Steel or something or Three Minute that Hands. That definitely exists already. Three Minute Hands. <laughs> like three Minute Hands or whatever. That definitely exists already. I'm sure. We were talking it. about that the other day, but. Yeah. What was some movie where the guy was like six minute abs and the guy's like, what if they only had five minute abs? And he thought, that's oh, crazy, but that's absurd. Yeah, absurd. absolutely absurd. Anyway, you hand need at strength. least six minutes. Hand use. Remember, you know, remember being a kid and you'd go shake that old guy who lived down the who worked with his hands. You'd go shake his hand and it, he was like a scrawny old man, but yeah. he felt like he could rip your arm yeah. off. That is, yeah, yeah. That guy probably wouldn't get the repetitive stress no. injury. And you know, a lot of the people that come to these programs. Um, have ex have some experience with a lot of this stuff already, but just the like every day 
The grind. It's the, the grind. The grind. Um, like every day, you are you are using your hands to accomplish pretty much everything. Yeah. All the, like that's that is how you're going to put up wood to cook your food. That's how you're going to cook your food. Um, you're going to be building things with them, carving things, like tying knots. Yeah. And it all matters. It all matters. Um, so even if you in your head think, you know, I'm relatively like, I'm relatively up to snuff with my hands. I do. I work out a lot with stuff like that like still just it would behoove you to do something small and finicky with your hands um that that's gonna just make this make your life up here a lot easier because it's it's hard on them you know i've I've been doing this now the better part of a decade and it's still you know there's still like a two-week period when i get back up here where it's like okay this is it's been it's been a couple of weeks this has got to work work out the kinks here a little bit yeah and And, you know the well i'm just gonna say like the I've seen it happen with certain people over the years where they learn how to brain tan a hide and then they're, they, they'll take that model and say, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go brain tan hides for a living. And uh, and they're like young and fit and they're like 22 and then they brain tan a bunch of hides and I see them six months later and they look like they're 107 and, you know, their fingers won't straighten out all the way. And, you know, so that's like a, a, a greatly exacerbated situation. Um, you know, where you're just beating up on the body. And, you know, there are people out there that brain tan professionally have done it for years and years and years. And, you know, I, I, I would refuse to shake their hands because I'd be afraid that they would rip my arm out of the socket. Yeah, it's insane. Um, and that kind of, that kind of uh, segues really well into, that segues really well into something else we've been thinking about, which is like the, we have a lot of people that come up here and they, they start to have these injuries and then they insist on, um, I'm trying to tough through it, um, which uh, kind of brings up an interesting thing from the guide's perspective is that you are you're kind of managing that as best you can for them. So like we said earlier, we have uh, we have like a better part of half of the students up here that have some form of repetitive stress injury right now, right now at this exact point. Um, And so we're we had to kind of change our plans for the next week in order to not have them exacerbate that problem um and and it's a tricky thing um especially you know thinking about the thinking about the damage that could be done by us just having them work through it is you know maybe it takes them six months after they leave here for their hands to be back to normal well anthony a couple years ago yeah we had a student it took him you know he was up here he had pre-existing problems with carpal tunnel and doing all the stuff up here made it a lot worse and it took him a little while to get back to normal um but it's that modern we have this thing in the modern world stupid about thing toughing through it's a things, stupid thing which don't get me wrong i don't think it's all bad in the short term yeah if you want to like say you're on a hike and you want to tough it and maybe get that last mile in or something yeah where you will have recovery period afterwards then that makes sense if it's a long-term thing and you continue to add the stresses without recovery time absolutely that's gonna just it's a horrible horrible idea yeah like so one of the roles of the instructor then um is to uh, manage. We're 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 observing everybody's stress level, and especially it seems to be if it's a if it's a guy, the younger the guy, they'll never admit to. It's sort of a macho thing, right? They'll never admit it's to definitely like, a macho thing. I, I'm not 100. percent Things hurt, um, and they always want to mask it because it looks like it's not a it's not a macho trait to like say, hey, look, I need a little bit of rest or yeah. something. So one of the one of the to old hell school, with that, I say. Well, one of the old school tricks of the instructor is to, you know, we're always watching how everybody's doing. So day one of a course, 
you sort of Christopher and I will be extra gregarious. And try I've to never get been a, gregarious in my life. We'll try to get a feeling for what someone's normally like before any stresses come in. So then we know if we're on the trail or we're doing something. We had a really hard trip last week. It was really challenging. We'll talk about that in a yeah. second. But if you know if someone, say, is usually has a good sense of humor and then one day they're very morose and very quiet, you're like, okay, something is different. Something's changed. And then you're trying to figure out what that is. You're almost like a little detective trying to figure out those things. So then, so for example, let's say if it's a young guy with maybe with a with a uh, fragile ego right and i'm making this up i'm not i'm not discussing anybody that i know okay it's it's you it's me so and we're out and i i know christopher's hurting but i also know he's so stubborn and doesn't want to hold the group back so for me then maybe i'll address the group and say hey guys instead of putting it on him i'll put it on myself absolutely so i'll say hey guys you know what like my ankle hurts or my hands are killing me or i need a break i need some water Right? Do you guys mind stopping and waiting for me? So instead of putting it on Christopher, where all the group is like looking at him as the weak link, I'll put it on myself. And that's a really good skill for a guide to have is sort of redirect all of that stuff back at you. So to give that person's ego the ability to get the rest that they need, but not have to take the... Uh, be thought of from the group perspective as the person that needed it. Yeah. And the other side, and I think the other side to that is that if you, as the guide or instructor do that, you make it an okay thing to do. Yes. And you, you, you improve the chances that somebody that is like dehydrated or hurting or something will be like, Oh, they, they had no problem saying like, Hey, like let's take 10 minutes. I need to warm my hands up. So why? So it, I guess that's an okay thing. The, the, it's been signaled that it's a fine thing to do, and that that makes your life as a guide or instructor a lot easier if people are upfront with you about injuries or whatever. Yeah, but the the underlying point here is that stress needs to be balanced by recovery. Yeah, and that part of the job of the guide or the instructor is to manage stress levels, and that's um, you know physical, mental, and emotional. You know somebody could be physically a hundred percent, but if they get a call from home and uh, you know one of the, a family member is injured or, or something like that, like those emotional stresses, right? They'll need they'll need some recovery time yeah. after they've had that. And same with mental. You know you're struggling with. Uh, uh, what would be an example? Like you're struggling with, you thought you'd be better at this or you're, and you're not as good as you thought you would be. Yeah. Or sure. there's a particular project that, you know, we, we just recently did our map making exercise. And yeah. so that's probably the most cerebral thing that students up here do. Um, and so it's particularly hard for students that do really well at all the physical stuff. And then, and then this is the one that they beat their heads against. And it can be kind of like, it's late in the course, you feel like you're doing really well. And then all of a sudden you come to one that just kicks your butt and you just can't wrap your head around it for a while. And it takes like, you got to kind of got to dig in and do something that is not in your comfort zone. Right. Um, and that's, that's hard for people. Yeah. We tend, especially as adults, we gravitate towards those things that we number one, enjoy number two, that we're good at. Yeah. It's very rare as an adult that you try to learn something new and especially something new that is just kicking the crap out of you on a regular basis. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a useful it's a useful thing to do. And it, it I mean, it sounds like a trope, it's, but I'm going to say it builds character. No, it's a, it's a huge thing. I, I spent the summer reading about the, uh, I just delved into this idea of like laziness and work ethic and was very, like, I'm fascinated by that stuff. And, um, it's been shown that if you, if you consistently do things that you know, you are bad at, it improves your ability to, when you're doing the things you're good at, overcome obstacles in those things, because you're like, Oh, I, 
this is this is I am used to this like struggle of trying to figure out something that's going on. So so doing things that you're bad at makes you better at things that you're already good at, which is just awesome to me. Like this this variety of experiences rather than pigeonholing yourself into like I only brain hit brain hand tie yeah brain tan hides i only brain hand tides and uh if you ask me to you know balance my checkbook i can't do it but if you try balancing your checkbook or some other academic thing that you're not great at then you go back to brain tanning hides and when you have those moments of like oh i never want to i never want to pull another hide in my life i don't know if it's maybe that it just doesn't sound as bad as going and do the thing doing the thing that you're bad at or if you've built up sort of a resilience to that kind of stuff but either way it's fascinating to me yeah and it's just just a super useful life skill like this is way bigger than bushcraft or outdoor living or anything yeah. right it's all about what we're talking about is like resiliency yes mental emotional toughness and and you know in the case of the hands the physical toughness um and i can say you know covid survivor here spent 12 days in the hospital last year and the thing that allowed me to kind of make it through that unscathed it was a challenging time um but you know mental toughness i i credit that with with uh i don't know probably all the success that i've had in my life um but a good point there's a great book i just reread it uh, a couple of weeks ago um read it i don't know 20 years ago but it was it's called the the new toughness training for sports by james lair and i will list it in the show notes just a great thing if you're coming up here maybe you want to read this book and it's old there's probably a lot newer books with more cutting edge research um uh but the beauty of it being old means you can probably buy a copy used for a buck somewhere um, but the idea about about physical toughness mental toughness emotional toughness and the ability to be resilient and to bounce back and that's uh you know it's sort of the theme that we're talking about today and uh i think it's a super useful skill set to have and, and to cultivate in yourself and you know maybe that's doing something that you think sucks every day and maybe that's you know maybe that's working out maybe you didn't want to get out of bed and, and go lift weights or go for a run maybe you didn't want to do that bit of office work that you have to do you know answer all the emails whatever that thing may be yeah but to sort of suck it up and to go do it yeah uh, and the other the, i think the other side of it you know on these programs we talk a lot about the like the self aspect here yes and uh, along with the toughness and being able to like put your head down is also the the self knowledge to say to like admit like i need a break right now i need to like go and physically mentally whatever it is take care of what's going on so that i can keep pushing forward when we come back tomorrow right um so we we have a ton of projects that are always in the works up here um, and the people that tend to like get them done are not the people that like from day one hard charge and do that sprint thing we were talking about. They're the people that like take a look at it and do a little bit every day, like that marathon analogy that we're using um, and just be able to like a lot time, not only to work on those things every day, but also to like just go relax, like sit around the campfire, eat some delicious greasy food that you've cooked and then have like an hour and a half of just not go watch the river yeah exactly but just being able to relax balancing stress with recovery especially in the early weeks of a course people are often saying oh we don't uh, have enough to do we, yeah can we can we not take the weekend off can we not have saturday and sunday Ugh. free and uh this is what semester 54 I think uh, I don't know, but you just see those people will crater. Those yeah. people will crater because they they're have. not balancing the stresses with the recovery time. Yeah. So the idea of like just hard charging constantly. I mean, even the Romans gave their slaves one day out of seven off, right? 
Yeah, so we give ours half of a day out of seven. Right. Because the, we the, can't be one up by the Romans. Are we Romans? I don't know. Uh, I don't. I kind of <laughs> lost the thread here. Just the idea of balancing stress <laughs> yeah. with recovery. That that it's not. It's a tool, right? And and often people think of, especially in our modern world where everybody's so busy and you're always connected and you're supposed to be answering emails till midnight and, and all that, that the uh, without that recovery time, it, it it's bad. The data is the data shows that like the, the the more you like commit to that, like gotta grind, gotta do this stuff, like the exponentially the worst your product that you're like whatever it is you're working on, it gets worse and worse and you become less and less productive and efficient. Like we and just less, are and you not have less fun. Yeah, you, it's like, just awful. Yeah. So again, like in the short term, that isn't an undesirable characteristic. No. To, nose to the grindstone, and let's get this thing yeah. done. Yeah. In the long term, it is hugely, hugely negative. It's got to be a balance, right? It'll totally wear you out. You'll be miserable. You'll be run down. So you've got to balance that. You've got to balance the stress with the recovery, physical, mental, and emotional. Yeah, and we we try our best to keep. Like, you know, we talked at the beginning, like it's our job to manage that, but we can only do so much. Um, and like the, the night to night, day to day stuff, that's got to be, you know, that's something that it, it behooves you to kind of have sorted out if you're going to come on a program like this. So we can only do so much, right? So yeah. Here's a tangible example. One of the exercises that we introduce early in the course is something called a sit spot where you go mm. to the same spot on the landscape and you sit there for 10 or 15 minutes and you basically watch the land change over time. There are a lot of interesting things like the the critters get used to you going to the same place and they start to go about their business. You're not freaking them out. But the other thing it does is it's a decompression period. You know, socially, say if Christopher and I were on this course right now and we're butting heads, you know, we're, we what just do don't, if? we don't get along, right? So <laughs> here's 15 minutes a day where we can go be apart from each other, be apart from everybody else and just decompress, just let it out. You know, it's social recovery. Um, and so, you know, we build things like that into the courses mm -hmm. so that people can get that recovery time. But the downside is sometimes people will, you know, unless we're cracking the whip and you 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 have like a starter pistol and you fire it in the air and say, okay, everybody do their sit spots. Like sometimes those yeah. maybe fall by the wayside the later people get in the course. But it's hugely valuable uh, to have that, you know, decompression slash recovery time. Mm -hmm. Again, from a physical perspective. So what we're balancing now with guys having, uh, you know, pains in their, in their hands and their wrists. So we were going to go paddling next week and we're not now because we're balancing the stress with the recovery. So we're going to do things around camp where people don't have to put in miles paddling canoes. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've kind of beaten this, beaten this to death. You think so? I definitely think so. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I did most of the beating, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what is that old, that the beatings will continue until morale improves, and we're talking about, like, improving morale here while we beat something to death? <laughs> I like that. We're uh, fixing it. Yes. Um, I'm helping. I'm helping. Um, I, have, I have a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm that little kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah a yeah. mallet. A mallet. I have a mallet. Um, no one's going to. Briefly talk about the trip and then wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our audience That's, hasn't heard from us in, in 100 years. And so and we're just expunging all of our yeah. ramblings now. It's almost like we should do this more often. We should that. probably do this more often. Yeah. Too. Um, yeah, so a real world example of like being able to be resilient to stuff is this um, This last trip we went on. We went uh, out on the Aroostook River up from the Headwater Lake that we always use. And um, 
you know, when we had planned the trip, the Aroostook was at, what, like 2,000 cubic feet? Yeah, we went from 100 cubic feet per second to 2,000. To and then so... We, if, so we we kind of we we waited too long to pull the trigger on going, and they weren't. This, our students hadn't had enough time in boats to be ready for that kind of a trip yet. Um, but by the time we got out there, it had dropped to what like three hundred something, which it was like six hundred. But I think most of that water, it's it's weird. Because we're having most yeah. of the water was coming from another arm of the drainage, not where we were. Yeah. So anyway, regardless of how it happened, when we got, we spent two days on the lake that were beautiful. Students got to you know go explore that and see a bunch of. We got to see a bunch of, uh, I think there were like 30 loons that were flocked up to go, um, which is, you're going to like this, Tim, because I know how much you love like group names for animals. You know what a group of loons is called? I call it a group of loons. An asylum. Nice. An asylum Isn't there loons. one person that makes up all those stupid names? Like a. It's me. Oh. I do it to annoy you. You must die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you must die. I alone am best. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, great time out there. And then we went to the outlet of that pond, um, pond, lake outlet of that lake and uh all of a sudden there was like zero water um to the point where we basically had to portage uh all of our gear probably geez probably a quarter of a mile um and then drag it drag boats every every i don't know probably 20 feet we would step out and walk them so that they weren't dragging on the bottom of the river um i punt day one of that trip i have a a uh wooden boat and punched a little hole in it and the way those things work is um i repaired it but it was just so low that i just kept punching other little holes in it and got to the point where um you know it was sort of repaired but still had a slow leak and was bailing water the whole time students were walking and frustration levels on all sides were getting pretty high um I want to just, uh, my frustration level was not high because I wasn't with them. I met them at a different spot on the river. So Tim showed up like happy as a clam. and was like, what's going on guys? And everybody was like, I'm going to murder you. Um, <laughs> so if you're out there in podcast land listening, worried about Tim's stress level at that point. <laughs> Tim was good. Tim was Tim good. Tim was great. <laughs> Tim showed up with two, uh, two shovels and a microphone and uh, proceeded to make a joke about that while everyone else sat around like bone tired. And it was great. It was great. Um, but but yeah, that was so. So the the point we're trying to make here is that the they had gone into that prepared to work hard, but not in the specific way that they ended up working hard. They had gone in prepared to push with the poles and the paddles every day, make miles. And what ended up happening was we ended up walking a lot, taking a lot of breaks for uh, some idiot to kind of patch up their boat a little better um, and listen to a a really really sad dog with. At one point, my dog Sable was in my boat while I was walking it, and she had water up to her elbows. Um, and she was she was un she can make some pretty unearthly sounds, and she was making them then. She was not happy. Um, so so the frustration came from something totally unexpected, and all of the all of the people on this course rolled with it um, as best they could. But you know, by the time Tim showed up, they had been rolling with it for three days at that point, with no real sign of relief. And that's the point where, you know, from a guide's perspective, you need to be, you need to be like, you know, I joked about Tim's microphone and shovel thing, but that's exactly what, that's exactly what we should have done is like remind people to not take it so seriously, laugh at stuff, fill them full of good food and water, um, and just, and frame it in a way where like, this is good training. This isn't just like a slog that we're working through here. This is something even if you're not learning a lot about polling because you haven't pulled the boat in the last 45 miles, you've been walking them. Um, 
you're still learning a lot about how far you can push yourself before you run out of gas physically or mentally. And that's a huge, that's, we talked about it with the open fire night. That's something that the modern world doesn't allow you to really get um, without, there's always a really easy exit strategy, right? Like you can train for a marathon um, and run, you know, 26 miles every day, but you always know that like, if at some point you decide you don't want to run that anymore, you just walk into the nearest cafe and have a cup of coffee, right? But if you're out in a, in a really wild place like we were and there's not really an exit strategy other than to get to the next takeout and then figure it out from there, that, that, that builds a, a strength of character that uh, I've seen every student come, that comes through these programs leave with. And I don't know very many other people that don't participate in wilderness expeditions like this that have it. I just don't. Amen to that. That was the long... I haven't breathed in like two minutes. That was like a monologue. It was awesome. <laughs> Can you take over now, please? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's put this one away. Let's Amen. put it to bed. So thank you very much for uh, spending uh, this time with us. Um, yeah. We hope glad to be back. Glad to be back. Hopefully we'll be better about uh, putting more of these out. But I just... Podcasting's pretty hard in that... Uh, because you got to, in order for it to be interesting, I think you got to have two people talking like this. Like I don't, I've done a couple where it's just me kind of rambling solo and that's more like a, that's more like a speech and mm-hmm. it's just harder. It's, and it's not as much fun to do. Like, no. I think these are fun to do. Yeah. So that's the, that's the challenge when we're not in the middle of a course, we don't have the ability to just sit down and, and kind of knock one of these out. But yeah. we'll, we'll try to be you gotta better have? about it. What? Faith. You got to have faith, faith, faith. Huh? George, huh? George Michael? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe the glasses and the jacket, too. Yeah. Jukebox. Um, I think it's about time we wrapped this up. I'm, I, I was more of a fan of him when he was in the group Wham. I'm helping. With Andrew Ridgely, who quit Wham to become a race car driver. You don't want to go down the... That's eight, the best story I've ever heard. Really? trivia. You don't... I am the master of 80s trivia. Tim, I... Of the two I'm, of us. Of... of I am aware of this. <laughs> I uh, you could be lying to me, and I just accept it. Right? Because I was born ten years after the eighties. Yeah, it's yeah. Careless whisper. That's. The... <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you. We'll Have see you a later. great day. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.